turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is a delight to bring back with us Rabbi Pinchas Alush. Rabbi Alush, when the uh, sun sets a little later, is with us in the third hour. But because uh, the sun sets a little earlier now, he is with us um, in the second hour. It's a delight to have him in studio with us, as it is every Friday he's in town. He is the head rabbi, chief rabbi, at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard, where he continually reminds all are welcome, uh, religious or not, Jewish or not, observant or not, Jewish or not. He's also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. That's how he spells his last name. Good to see you, Rabbi. Good, great to be here. Thank you so much, Seth. We uh, were reminded uh, in sharp relief last uh, week uh, that you have a son who is in Israel with the IDF in the elite forces, a paratrooper. Uh, he called during the show uh, to um, check in with you. Uh, tell us how he's doing, what you hear, and again, his full name for the audience to keep uh, him in uh, their uh, prayers, thoughts, and blessings. Well, that, that's most important, and I thank you for that. His full name is Israel Mordechai Chaim. Israel Mordechai Chaim. Three names, the son of Esther, my wife. And uh, yes, God should protect him and bless him and all of the brave IDF soldiers and uh, everyone who stands for good in this world. Um, I haven't heard from him this week, neither did my wife. We haven't heard from him. Uh, But we do know that he's again back in Gaza fighting the good fight. And... um, I don't know when I'll hear from him next. We might hear during this uh, well, during this uh, interview. It may happen again. We'll see. And I hope your listeners will excuse me for that. Of course they do. Of course <laughs> they do. As young David said, we were happy to hear that he called. Yes, thank you. And there is a community here that's smaller than people may realize. Norman Podhoritz, the great longtime editor of Commentary, uh, once wrote that um, when a uh, when a when a when a Jew is hurt in Israel, uh, a Jew in America bleeds. And yesterday or the day before, there was some news of some paratroopers in Gaza that were harmed. And uh, I must have received five or six emails and several texts saying, "Have you checked in with Rabbi Elush?" Oh, that's so nice. Um, yes, I heard of uh, those news too. Those tragic news. They the ones who were harmed were paratroopers, but part of the 202 unit. My son is part of the 101 unit, okay. so he was not there, thankfully. But I'm sure that uh, they know each other. Yeah. These are his friends. I'm sure. Well, we'll keep a good thought and a good prayer uh, for for your son and your family, as we do for uh, everyone uh, who is uh, fighting for good. Kind of a theme this week, if I can drill down on doing good. Um when one looks at the Torah portion or the biblical portion that we will be reading tomorrow uh, in in synagogue, it's called Haye Sarah, right? The mm-hmm. life of Sarah, roughly starting at Genesis 23. And it's obviously a lot about Sarah and her husband, Abraham. And um, 
there are some paradoxes here. First one is it's called the life of Sarah, but really begins with her death and ends with his death. Mm. That's yeah. right. That's correct. And so really it should be called the life of Sarah. Uh, sorry, the death of Sarah, yeah. not the life of right. Sarah, but it's called the life of Sarah. And the reason is because the Torah here is trying to teach, teach us one of the most important lessons of life. And that is that by existing, we are not necessarily living. To exist, all we need is stuff, food, um, clothes, a shelter, and so on. But to truly live, you need values. And if you live by values, then your life will continue on and on even after you die. And this is exactly what Sarah stands for. She did not just exist during 127 years here on planet Earth. She lived. She lived with many values that she shared with the world. And therefore, she continues to live on and on and on even after her death. And therefore, the name of this week's portion is the life of Sarah because that's what true life is all about, a life that is eternal. <clears throat> also, there's something about the way we face death, right? Um, death and how we face it is a commentary on life. In your morning newsletter that I receive or your weekly newsletter I receive, you get into that a little bit, and I'll get into specifically uh, some of that with you if you don't mind. You, you, you capture this interesting, this interesting line from, from, from Genesis. Um, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then immediately we read, Abraham rose from his grief. Interesting how he faced death with his beloved. He immediately rose from his grief. Right. It's not that he did not mourn for her. It does say that he mourned for her. But what is interesting about the sequence of these verses is that he did not sink in his mourning. He rose from mourning in order to continue to build and build and, and really shape a brighter future, which really teaches us volumes about how to deal with challenges, how to deal with uh, moments of crisis, how to deal with trauma altogether. We, instead of, of mourning and then mourning again and then mourning again and never really coming out of that vicious cycle, Abraham says, well, rise, mourn, but don't forget to rise. Rise and continue to build life. Because if you do, that's where you'll find comfort. If you do, that's where you'll realize that light is so much more powerful than darkness and that life is mightier than death. We're not meant to be depressed and sad. Um, and if there's a lesson to draw out here, a lot of people go through life with depressions and sadnesses. And let's, let's leave depression out because that can be perhaps a, 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 a – could be a medical issue. But let's go with sadness or a depressive attitude, shall we say, a, 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 you know, a, sardon, a, a, a negative attitude about life. <clears throat> if we are to have a moment of allowable, tolerable, expected grief, it would be over the death of a beloved. But the lesson, it seems to me here, is don't even at that moment let it sink you down. Right. Take the moment and move on. You have this interesting story about um, an attack. I mean, people are overcoming and trying to live through and get through the attacks of October 7th. You have an interesting historical analog to something that reached back as far as 1956 and what the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe said about it. Yeah? That's right. It's really one of my favorite lines by the late Lubavitcher Rebbe of of blessed memory, 
who went in April, on April 11, 1956 to be exact, there was a terrible terrorist attack that attacked a village that he himself founded. Together with many of his students, the village of Kfar Chabad, uh, right, not too far away, by the way, from the airport in Israel, from the Ben Gurion Airport. Um, the the uh, <laughs> it's not him. Okay, I saw the phone ring. We're all on tenter hooks here. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. It might be him, but I don't think so. <laughs> okay, uh, but um, um, the the villagers thought of maybe just moving elsewhere. They thought after this terrorist attack that maybe their village is indeed too dangerous for them to live in. And uh, they asked the great rabbi whose headquarters were in New York what to do. And the rabbi responded with a three-word telegram, which speaks volumes. And that three-word telegram said, Behemshech abinyan tenuchamu, three words in Hebrew. But what they mean is by continuing to build, you will find comfort. Indeed, the best way to destruction is, best response to destruction is construction. Mm-hmm. By continuing to build, you will find comfort. And I think that's true for October 7th, as you mentioned, or for any tragedy, small or big. If we continue, if we rise like Abraham did and continue to build, that's when we'll find comfort. And that's when we'll also find that, as mentioned, life is stronger than death. <clears throat> People who start to research into population studies and census figures and that sort of thing get um, quite surprised at how small the Jewish population is not only in the world but in America. It's about 16 or so million people worldwide, which is pretty much the same number it was in the 1930s. Mm. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, it is the same Lubavitch Rebbe who said after the ashes of 1945 were discovered for the whole world to see that there was a duty here to not give a posthumous victory to the murderers, to the Third Reich, and that people had a duty to create as many more Jews as possible. This is the same kind of point, if I have that understanding correct. That's right. Maybe It's also an interesting commentary on how devastating the Holocaust was. Right, right, uh, absolutely. But, it, it, you know, it's, we it, haven't it's embedded right at the beginning of our history, where during our slavery in Egypt, the Torah says that as they tortured us, so we multiplied and spread. Aha, uh-huh. aha. Uh-huh. Let me pick up on some of this and some of the lessons from Abraham and Sarah and Abraham's son when we come right back with more from Rabbi Pinchas Salush. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is uh, my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, first name Pinchas, P-I-N-C-H-A-S. Uh, he is the uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard. House of Prayer is what that stands for, and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts, where uh, he gives a uh, five or so minute podcast every week, and uh, it... Uh, it's it's fantastic. It's amazing what you can do in five minutes, Rabbi. It's amazing what you do here uh, for an hour of radio with us every week. So we continually thank you for that. Thank you. I learn from the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where you're learning from. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, neither Abraham nor Sarah, in all their tribulations and travels— um, we are told they lived good lives. Um, we are told at the end of this portion, Abraham um, breathed his last, dying at a good, ripe age, old and content, 
old and content. He went through a lot of tribulations. Um, I think it was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs who commented, you know, you think about all these tribulations that Abraham and Sarah went through, and yet we're told it's a good life, that he lived a good life when he passes at the end of this week's portion. And he makes an interesting comment that never dawned on me. About neither Abraham nor Sarah, nor almost almost anyone in the Bible, are we ever told what their feelings or emotions were. Mm. It's all about their duties and obligations and adherence to something. But we're not told how they felt about being commanded to do this or this or the trial and tribulation of going through this. And it's kind of interesting if he's right. I presume he is. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Emotions are rarely spoken of in the entire Bible. And maybe indeed it is to teach us that at the end of the day what will define us is not our emotions, as strong as they may be. It is our actions. What we actually did in life will define us. If we did good, we'll be defined as good. If not, the opposite will happen. But it's the deeds that make us who we are. And I think there's a very powerful um, uh, truth to this, and, and that is that very often, especially in our day and age, we retort to feelings. We feel so much. And we've, we also create this illusion that it's the feelings that we feel that make us who we are. No, that's not what makes us who we are. I've been to too many funerals, as I've said before, to know that no eulogy speaks of the person of the deceased feelings. But every eulogy speaks of the deceased actions because it is true. The actions that we do is what makes us who we are. It is an interesting bridge to a conversation I was having with some listeners yesterday. Is that it? No, we're still okay. Every time the phone rings, I yeah, I know. It's been straight. like that all week long. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> um, it bridges to a conversation I was having with uh, some folks in the audience yesterday, which I will come back to in a moment. But I was listening to Dennis Prager this morning talking to a listener about a caller uh, about um, really, I think he was talking about marriage. And he said, you know, it's interesting, and it reminded me of this thing with Abraham and, and the other figures of the Bible whose emotions we are not told and we're not perhaps supposed to care about as its own lesson, lesson for us, not to not to allow, allow emotions to, to, to interfere with duty. He said, um, when a child is born, when a baby boy is born, I think on the eighth day, uh, people only tell of him to do three things. Uh, if I have this right, and you'll correct me if I have it wrong, I wrote it down, um, that he learn uh, Torah, learn the Bible, that he perform good deeds, and that he get married. That's all we ask of people. Right. Fair enough? Close? Yes, that's correct. Yes. And again, these are all actions. And mm-hmm. even the learning part, you know, the ethics of our fathers teaches us that one who learns just to learn really doesn't learn. <laughs> because you have to learn in order to translate those teachings. Right into actions. Right. So even the learning part is an action. And that's true. If you think of that, those are the three really pillars that guide us in life. If I may add, going back to Abraham, yeah. I think speaking of action, you know, there's a, there's a verse in this week's portion that speaks of Abraham as being old. In Hebrew, we say, Avraham zaken baba yamim, that Abraham was old, he came into his days. And no one quite understands 
what this means. I mean, if you are going to say that he's old, then just end the verse there, that Abraham was old. What does it mean that he came into his days? And the answer is that Abraham really was so involved in action, in maximizing every moment, that he is the one who came into his days. His days did not come into him. Uh-huh. He's the one who filled every moment, who was proactive in order to come into his days and transform his days into days of action. Yeah. And uh, it's the I, beginning of the whole story of Abraham, isn't it, too? That go, go do something. Lech that's lecha, right. right. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. Lech lecha, and he does that. Get He's up that and mode move. Until he yeah. dies. Yeah. Because Abraham one understands, uh, understood what another Abraham said many, many years later, Abraham Lincoln. And that is that in the end, it's the life in your years that count, not the years in your life. Yeah, that's right. And so if I can put some of this together, um, I suppose we probably also have to talk about finding Abraham's son's wife for a moment, too. So, yeah, let me do that before I come back to emotions, if I can. Um, Abraham instructs his servant to go find uh, of his son, for his son Isaac, a wife, yes? That's right. If I read this right in Genesis, it's kind of interesting. The servant doesn't do exactly, doesn't do exactly, am I, am I picking up rightly here? The servant doesn't do exactly as Abraham commands, not not precisely in finding Rebecca, Rivka. <laughs> right. And in fact, the commentaries jump on that. Okay. One commentary even suggests that, in fact, the servant did not want to be, of Abraham, did not want to be successful in his mission because he had a daughter and he was hoping that his daughter is picked for uh-huh. Abraham's son. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. he didn't quite want to... And it dra- dragged his feet a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that, okay. That's right. Okay. But at the end of the day, he fulfills this mission, as we know now retrospectively, and uh, he finds the perfect match for Isaac. What's interesting, I will add, is that there's really only one line in that job description that Abraham gives his servant for that ultimate wife. And that line is, she has to be kind-hearted. Right. Because and that's how, that's right. And that's, that's how she greeted the servant that's with right. kind-heartedness, that's water right. for the camels and him. Yes. And, and that wasn't easy, to, uh, a kindness that was easy to perform. She yeah. was going to give water to camels. Right. Camels that can gulp apparently 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. Yeah. I looked it up. Yeah. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't an easy type of kindness, but she did it. And that was most important to Abraham because he understood what many of us know, and that is that kindness is really the foundation of life. I want to come back on that when we come right back, and we will come right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. The Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, available on Apple Podcasts. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on um, Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale, where all are welcome, Jewish or not, uh, observant or not. We're just talking about the criterion, the chief criterion Abraham instructed his servant uh, in finding a wife for his son Isaac, and you said it was to look for kindness. And I wonder, is that something you counsel when people, when people perhaps most significantly young men, because we want to just keep the an- analogy here um, uh, uh, parallel. Is that what you tell them to look for when they're saying, what do I look for, Rabbi, when I'm looking for a wife? What do I look for? Do you tell them kindness? Is kindness the most important thing? Absolutely. Okay. I, there's no doubt in my mind that a kind person is, um, is a person that 
will not only lead a meaningful life for himself or for herself, but will make others lead a meaningful life too. So a kind person is a person who will fill their home with kindness, and uh, they fulfill future generations with kindness. And what better than kind people turning this world into a kinder world? Mm -hmm. You're a young man. How do you know so – how did you – I mean, I can give you any biblical commentary as I do, and I, I don't try to trip you up. I just, we're just going through stuff here. And heaven for, for fend, I would try and trip you up. I don't, but I just – I can throw anything at you, and you know so much about these biblical verses, many of which are a little bit, you know, remote or abstruse or unfamiliar. Um, how, how do you know so much about all that, plus Lincoln and plus all the other people you – how did you study all this? <laughs> were you like well, first were you all, like I'm a nomad? So were you like a hermit for the first thirty years of I'm, your life? I'm not so young. I'm not so young. Uh, just well, you to better be because you're younger than me. So you better be so young. <laughs> I think you're younger. That's number me. one. Number two. Look, I I um, I can't take any credit for my DNA. <laughs> and number three, I will say this: I really don't feel like I know much. There's so much more to learn, and uh, the Torah, you know, the Bible. Is compared by King David as an endless sea because just like the sea, only uh, I think 10% of uh, the sea has been discovered thus far of what's underneath the sea. 90% is still concealed. So to here, I feel like 90% of uh, the Bible and everything else out there is uh, remains concealed in my eyes and I have yet to explore it. Uh, kindness being the thing that you would counsel is the thing to look for you would counsel young men looking to be married to fulfill that commandment they're given on their eighth day of life. Eighth day of life, they're commanded to do that, mm -hmm. to already be thinking about <laughs> already, yeah. or, may, or, or the wishes that they, they, they do good deeds, learn, learn the Torah, the Bible, and get married. Um, is, is, is it the absence of that you see more than anything else when you see the unfortunate situation of relations breaking up? Is it, is it a loss of kindness, or is it, is it, is it kindness that that had grown um, weary. We had talked, uh, you know, a little bit about, you know, the story from Tevye the Milkman or Fiddler on the Roof, as people may know it, where people just kind of became, the couple just kind of became complacent, so they weren't even sure if they loved each other anymore. Is it is it is it kind of a, 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 um, a fading of the kindness, or is it usually something else? Is it a taking for granted in, in relationships that break up? Is it is it the lack of kindness? Or is it people who got married when they had doubts about the kindness in the first place, but they were pursuing other things, perhaps? They saw mm. something other than kindness, and kindness kind of caught up to them, or the absence of it. I'm sure that happens a lot, too. No, uh, That's true. Look, there are many, many factors that can contribute to a divorce. Uh, but I, I, I do have to pick kindness as the number one factor or lack thereof. And the reason is because kindness turns people into uh, purpose-filled people. Yeah. And let, let, me, let me maybe redefine what kindness okay. is. Kindness should not be confused with compassion, okay. even though many people will really interchange those words because compassion depends on the other, the other yeah. arousing in me some type of mercy. It's also an emotion more than an act, right? like kindness. That, that very well said. And that's, that's one of the two main differences. See, compassion means that, oh, I just saw someone with torn clothes, so I have compassion. Let me give him some money to go buy him. a new clothes. But that dependent on the person. Kindness depends fully on me, on me being okay. driven by a purpose 
to be kind. And that purpose is also action-based, not just feeling-based. And when that is lacking in marriage, then uh, the marriage can very well go sour. That's well, why I think it's the number one component, yes. Well, this was a perfect segue to where I wanted to go anyway, which is about this issue of emotions and the distinction. This gets into the call I had yesterday with some folks, uh, calls I had with some folks yesterday. The difference between um, being victimized and victimhood. Mm. And we'll pick up on that when we come right back. I'll be back with Rabbi Elush in a moment. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I almost said the Rabbi Elush Show. Welcome back. It could be the Rabbi Elush Show. Do you ever want a guest host? I always look for guest hosts. That might be fun for you to sit in and guest host one day, not a Friday. Um, Rabbi Pinchas Elush is the host of the Rabbi Elush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Uh, we used to have him in third hour. We'll return when the sun sets a little bit later, but because of the Sabbath being um, uh, brought in by the lowering of the sun, if you can put it that way, um, that uh, we do it in the second hour this time of year. Rabbi Elush, okay, so you were talking about the difference between kindness and compassion. One is a little bit more of an emotion. One is a little bit more of an action. One is a little bit more dependent on you. One is a little bit more dependent on the other. Kindness more on you, compassion on the other. And I was thinking about that in relationship to that learning we were doing earlier in the show about how we don't really learn the emotions the feelings, if you will, of most of the characters in the Bible, uh, including Abraham and Sarah, which is interesting to see this week in this week's biblical portion, Torah portion. Kind of the difference between being victimized and victimhood is how I was thinking about it and how I was reading about it earlier today. Yesterday we had a call, and it takes us into the issue of Israel and Gaza, uh, Israel and the Palestinians, Palestinian Arabs, has a lot of people have been talking about this, looking at it through the lens of the oppressed and the oppressor. And I was just thinking about that as a parallel to victimization and victimhood. Being victimized can happen to someone. Someone can be attacked. Someone can, some innocent people can have unfortunate things done to them. They can be robbed. They can be assaulted. They can live in Europe in the 1930s, and they become victims. Mm -hmm. But victimhood is something quite different. Victimhood is allowing that to define you. Victimhood is constantly going through life as a suffering person, uh, perhaps even bitter, perhaps even resentful. There is that difference. We are not to soak and bathe in victimhood. You could go through different tote boards of different kinds of peoples and different kinds of nationalities that have had horrible things done to them. Any fair reading of history, I think, would show that there have been no people in world history more tempest-tossed than the Jewish people. But they don't really bathe and soak in victimhood, do they? They kind of get up and go do. Right After 1945, they said... We'll go build our own place. That's right. We saw that in the previous generation with Holocaust survivors yeah. who refused to even speak about the suffering, maybe because they did not want to fall into this trap of victimhood, as you so beautifully defined. They instead were forward-focused, and they were uh, driven as, as anything 
to rebuild their destroyed world, which they did. Many of them did so successfully. I have Holocaust survivors in my own family, my wife's family, and uh, I never saw them really dwell and wallow in their suffering. They were always smiling, always focused on what can I do for you? A little extra kind, too, let me point out. Kind. I've seen it with That's the survivors right. I have known. That's you, right. You, you and I have a friend in common named Ethan. His whole family mm. has that experience. Very kind people. Very, very. Maybe uh, maybe too much, like you were saying. But that was part of their refusal to accept this this status of victimhood. And um, I think that you know the, the fundamental difference between being a victim or being victimized, like you said, and victimhood, is that when you're victimized, you recognize that, yes, you were hurt, but you refuse to be a passive recipient to life. When um, you're define instead, you, right? You inst- don't let it define you. You don't let it define you. Instead, you choose to be an active participant in life, not a passive recipient. Victimhood is this permanent state of being a passive recipient. What can you do for me? Well, how can you pamper me because I suffered so much? That is not living. It goes back to the difference between existing and living. That's existing. Where's your life in all of this? If you're a passive recipient, where's your calling? Where's your purpose? How come you were sent here to this world just to receive, just for people to tap on your shoulders as much as you may have suffered? That is, I think, the main difference. And these Holocaust survivors, as well as so many Jews who suffered throughout generations, and so many others also suffered throughout generations. You know, I met a Baha'i yeah. uh, faith leader this past week. Same, same. And I would say they impressed me with yeah. the same mentality. Yeah. They too suffered. They were more persecuted in Iran than Jews themselves. Yeah. But they never, never became victims. They were always active participants of life. And that is something that is not just inspiring, but it's something that we ought to learn from in our own personal lives, too. Is it a burden in the sense of, do you think it explains some of the reasons for Jew hatred? I'm not using the word anti-Semitism anymore. It's too vague. I'm using the word Jew hatred. Do you think it explains some of that? These generations after generations that have tried to destroy the Jews, eliminate them is the better word, and haven't succeeded, haven't been able to do so, even with such a small people and only to see them succeed and overcome, overcome and succeed. Do you think that helps explain some of the Jew hatred from people who would rather rather be in a state of victimhood? I think that may contribute to to inflaming the Jew hatred that already exists. I don't think it's the only factor. I think there are many factors to Jew hatred, some of which are inexplicable. But I do think it's like the game Frogger. Yep. Remember that game yep, where you sure. have multiple frogs and you hit one frog on the head and another one pops from another direction? Well, that's been the spirit of the Jew and the spirit of, the, even, the, like I said, the Baha'i faith. And, even. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking of, yeah. That you right. can beat me on the head, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to allow your hammer to crush me. Mm-hmm. I'll pop up from some other other place. And it might not just be me popping out. I'll be popping out with a few of my family members, a few of my brothers and sisters, and there'll be multiple frogs from other directions. Because like Abraham or any of these heroes from the Bible we study, we are not meant to be defeated. We are not meant to be sad. We are not meant to wallow in the emotion of that which could defeat us. We are meant to go out and do good and kind things. Yes? That's correct. And to bring it back to the beginning, because by continuing to build, 
we will not only find comfort, but we will also prevail. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, thank you. Thank you. And may your son be well. Amen. Thank you so much. Portions of the show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a secure investment where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's an investment where you are in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There is no attack on principal. If you ever need your money back, there are no fees. Think about all that flexibility and freedom. You get your monthly statement with no surprises. As I say, a secure and collateralized portfolio may be a better option for you than where you have your money now. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. On the break, you know what I was thinking about, David? I was thinking about, you know, you're a much younger man than I. (laughs) And uh, I think it's fair to say over the last several years, there's been three or four moments, probably four, of great convulsion, great convulsiveness in uh, our society. Uh, covid uh, 2020 election and its aftermath, um, the Black Lives Matter riots that we were talking about a little bit in the previous hour, um, and um, now this, what's going on uh, with the marches in the streets here, and the protests, the violence, and of course, obviously, the uh, massacre from a month ago in Israel and the aftermath of that. So, four great moments, and... Uh, just years from now, if God please we get through all of this, years from now, it's, it's going to be interesting. You're going to be asked, where were you during all this? And um, I, I just don't think there's a better place to be than with this audience and talking it out on radio and having a place and an outlet. And it's kind of a privilege to be here with this audience and being able to give them an outlet to express it too, because I think— um, I think these kinds of moments uh, should be rare, and let's hope that they are rare, but they really have come very rapid-paced one on top of another. I, I, I don't have more to say except, um, except that uh, take it all in, you know. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of younger people that come to me with, you know, advice and that kind of stuff, come to me for advice, that sort of thing. Just take it all in, as the audience is, is what I guess I would say. Anyway. Uh, you're welcome. Do, do you even have the? You've been running back and forth. You don't even have the ability to talk back. But thanks for doing it with us too, David. And thanks for uh, helping us get through it uh, through your fine work. All right, folks. Um, meaningful and happy Veterans Day. I believe birthday to the Marines as well for those of you who have served in any capacity with the uniform of the United States. Of all the uniforms, it's the most important uniform. God bless you all. Thanks for spending some of your day and week with us. Until, oh, that's right. I have another hour. (laughs) How do you like that? I was trying to get out of here a little early. Well, thanks for spending some of your hour with us. We'll be right back. Dave Marcus coming up.